There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So I was in the shower. I was cleaning my ass and making all the shirts all sparkly. Thank you, clean. I'm not the funny one. I'm the pretty one. Cock shots. <laughs> I just checked myself out. music, wine, and then loop up. The glory hole is like a, a like dick theater of a magic trick. Which means your pants had better come off. Mama needs playtime. Uh, we're not sluts. We just love love. Hello, this is Angela. And this is Bradford. Welcome back to another week here at By the By. Ah. We have some familiar guests at this point. But still very special. Yes. <laughs> we like that. <laughs> yes. So we're back here with uh, Dr. Deb and Christy. See, I got the doctor this time. I know. <laughs> and, and associate I am professor. I am. Well, it's doctor yes. as well. Although well. my children do say... Yes. You're not a real doctor. You don't help anyone. <laughs> well, you're on a podcast okay, to fix that cool. now. That's right. Exactly. That's that's the things I offer. Just shut up, you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, we can jump right into it because you brought it up. Yeah. What we want to talk about with you guys today is parenting. Mm. <laughs> I know. And Angela and I, who can barely parent ourselves, <laughs> but still act like we're in our teens, uh, we we aren't a, um, I don't think we're a good resource for, for parenting. No. But uh, we, want, we want to be a better resource. So we want advice on raising children in today's society <laughs> in a, I, I, I'm going to say, I don't want to say non-normal, but different than the social norm, maybe. Mm. Sure. Um, Sex positive. Sex positive. There's the word. It's a pretty key idea, I think. Yeah. Yeah. This is a topic close to my heart. Uh, But I would say probably uh, as as a personal passion rather than something that I have kind of expertise professionally in. But I've done a lot of reading. Um, I know a lot of people who work in this area as well around early childhood, uh, adolescence and other um, stages of life in relation to sexuality and relationships education and know how absolutely important it is, including to the broader field of sexual and reproductive health. Um, but it's a, it's a thorny area. It makes people uncomfortable to be thinking about how do we talk to kids yeah. mm-hmm. about in a, in a non-shaming, yeah. positive way about diverse sexualities and relationship approaches. So I think it is a thorny area, and I, I have, a, and well, I'm a parent myself, so yes. that's, that's yeah. one thing. But again, you know, in my role as a doctor, I see many young people mm. who haven't had that sex-positive mm. upbringing, 
and you know that can leave them very vulnerable sometimes and they don't have they you know they don't have the words to even sometimes just describe what we may think is a simple thing like a mm-hmm. vulva for instance or yes. you know they haven't actually learnt those words but they also feel a great shame in even being able to raise these topics and we know just in terms of of you know consent to sex being have healthy relationships that sex positivity having that sort of be, being able to sort of discuss these things in that family environment mm-hmm. uh, in a safe way is so important so i think there's many reasons to discuss this yeah, yeah. and it, it's yeah. something that you know we've run across both in in actual research papers that we've read and then also personal life experiences mm-hmm. that when you don't when you're unable to talk about something you feel like you're the only one experiencing it. So you're no longer normal, so there's something wrong with you if you're feeling something different than the air quotes normal that you see in in media. Uh, And that can be very dangerous for your mental space, which is what we want to try to help for children. We want them to feel like there's ways that they can communicate with their parents mm-hmm. and parents with their mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. And I know you're not, this isn't your area of expertise. <laughs> However, you have practical experience. Both of y'all yes. have practical experience. And I think mm-hmm. that sometimes we rely too heavily on data mm-hmm. and data is something that you can wrap yourself up with like a, like a comfortable blanket. And suddenly it's a shield and it's protecting you because I have the data. Mm-hmm. But in actuality, I'm more apt to, trust somebody I mean how do you apply that how do you apply that data and that's the important thing look I can tell you many times what a Mozart opera sounds like but until you hear it yourself and do it and or perform it yourself you don't really appreciate it Uh, so that's why we want you to sort of expand and expound (laughs) (laughs) so there's just two things I'll say which are kind of side issues but they're, they're key to this as well and the first is that parenting as a concept is very new. Until about the 80s, it wasn't actually a word. Before really? that, is that right? Before that, <laughs> you were just a parent. Oh, oh as a verb. You're saying as a verb. Oh. Yes. The gerund phrase, parenting. Now, it is a practice. And it is a practice that comes with all kinds of intensive yes. attention and ideas and anxieties and, exactly. and imperatives. <laughs> and everybody so, has an opinion on it. Everyone yes. has an opinion on it. So I just wanted to start from the place of, again, compassion for yeah. how complex the process and the practice of parenting is and how much pressure people feel yeah. to, to get it right. Mm-hmm. And I think this is an area that because it is complex and because it brings up um, er, thing, er, fears that people will get it wrong, yeah. and also it's incredibly socially contentious, as we see yeah. in the media almost every day, yeah. and when you compare countries like the US and Australia. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we can see why people are anxious. So I guess yeah. I wanted to start from the point of saying, while a phrase like sex-positive parenting resonates for me, I also don't want to assume that that's a better way of parenting. Um, I think some of the principles are really important that we talk about, but I think people are almost always trying their absolute best to parent Mm -hmm. um, and to come up with an ethical framework for doing that in a way that fits with their value system. So, you know, that's my starting place. And so I, I, I always try to be really careful not to see that the things I believe in are seen as better than mm. the ways that the mm. things that other people believe, because there's all kinds of reasons that we may differ. Yep, I think that's a really great place to start. Okay. And I agree <laughs> with you because I do also agree that it's one area, also 
pregnant pregnancy as well. It where, is, yeah. You know, you're out in the street, you're at a cafe, you've got children around, you're parenting, but actually people feel that they have a right to actually, you know, criticise or suggest or, you know, somehow get involved in the way that you're going about being a parent. So Absolutely. You, know, very... you, you can't miss it if, yeah. you, if people think that you're doing yeah. a bad job or that you should change. You, you hear about it <laughs> within some families more yeah. than others, yes. um, but also in public. Yep. I just, it blew my mind the mm. first time I had a, a person tell me that my child yep. was underdressed or, mm. you know, like wow. it, it's really, it's quite confronting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. pregnancy is yep. the, another place where that starts with, you know, people yes. just deciding they can touch you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really bizarre. It, it should be having a that thing. cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There's no other time in life that yeah. somebody can walk up to you, just randomly touch you and it's yes. acceptable. Yes. So. Strange. Just on the pregnancy thing, and I'll say I'm guilty of it as well because I remember traveling with a colleague in Switzerland, and we met some friends that we had over there, and and she was pregnant, very far along, maybe eight. I mean, like right on the verge of giving birth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't have been shocked if she'd gone into labor at dinner, uh, but she had a <laughs> glass of champagne, mm-hmm. and. I, I must have physically bristled when she ordered it because my colleague puts his hand on my shoulder, leaned over and goes, it's relax, fine. it's fine. Yeah. And, you know, and he had multiple kids and we talked about it later. And I was like, growing up, we were always, women should never drink. That causes yeah. birth defects. Mm, and yeah. it's just like the ignorance. Mm, yeah. Again, mm. it's, it's not having mm. the information that was mm. required. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm. And, you know, unfortunately in these particular areas, it leads to incredible judgment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my aim with any of these kinds of topic areas is that, you know, how do we create space so that we can talk to each other about what we believe, what that, what has influenced that and how we can kind of yeah. all find a way to move forward. Um, having said that, I do feel very strongly about the importance of good quality sexuality and relationships education mm-hmm. for all people mm-hmm. beginning from the very earliest age. So, you know, there is, I feel strongly about that, but I'm keener to have conversations with people who disagree than to not. Mm-hmm. So it's been interesting, of course, in the States with the abstinence only. Oh, yes. God. <laughs> the stories I can tell you. And now it's been rebranded. I'm just trying to remember what it's been rebranded. Oh, I know. It's, it's been rebranded as, um, I think it's STI prevention or something that sounds oh, yes, sort of vaguely healthy. Yes. But it's still the same thing. And, mm. of course, we do know, and then we're not talking about the data and the evidence, <laughs> but we do know <laughs> that... All the evidence that does come out means that the people exposed to that abstinence only, they do have earlier pregnancies, they do have higher rates of mm-hmm. sexually transmitted infections, they are, you know, they're not in healthy relationships, and so this yeah. is not and a good thing. The reverse <laughs> is also true. We know that in a country like the Netherlands, yes, which has really some of the most incredibly inclusive, open, frank sexuality education yep. right from the right throughout life. Yep. The lowest rates of teen pregnancy, yes. the lowest STI rates, um, yes. uh, and, and much better um, processes for identifying, naming, and connecting people to services who've experienced intimate partner violence. Mm-hmm. So they're just, you know, they're, they're sometimes the data helps. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah, absolutely. But anecdotally, again, so when I was in high school, I was part of PSR, postponing sexual involvement. Wow. Oh, I know. Did you wear a ring? Like a, uh, that no, was... we didn't do the promise rings okay. or, or abstinent rings or okay. whatever 
the hell that was. Uh, but we did like our job as as high schoolers. And admittedly, the reason I wanted to do it was it was a performance art, and also we were getting out of school because we would go to middle schools as high schoolers. We'd go to middle schools, and there was six to eight of us, and we would go through a postponing sexual involvement oh. for the middle schoolers, telling them the dangers of of sex and all the bad things that can happen to you and all this horrible stuff now that I look back on with absolute shame Mm -hmm. uh, that I was uh, spouting this Mm -hmm. bullshit. But, you know, the problem with that was we were part of the PSI Mm -hmm. and we would have these away camps and this postponing sexual involvement. What did you get up up to? I think I was the only one that left PSI a virgin. Because well, was, it worked for somebody. It worked for me because yeah. it terrified me, and honestly, it's still yeah. something that I find yeah. that terrifies me. Mm-hmm. Is you know, growing up in a in a world in which sex was shameful, yeah. masturbation is shameful, yeah. Yeah. only bad things come from sex. Yeah. You know, you're never taught about the pleasure. Yeah, and, you're, yeah. you're not taught yeah. that sex is also fun, and yeah. if done yeah. safely, yeah. Yeah. safe, and it can really enhance connections. Yeah, you're not taught that. And yeah. here, I mean. There's changes happening. I mean, Absolutely. Here, which is great because it has been very much about the nuts and the bolts. The, yep. the sexuality training, or sex ed, I suppose you would call it, in in schools, very patchy with teachers who haven't been sort of properly trained, really, mm-hmm. and, and often just out of their comfort zone. And yeah. that's you know, it's doing them no no service at all. But there is that that move to sort yeah. of ensure that now we can actually include sexual pleasure in that discussion. And that's where Holland, as you say, I mean, Holland is the, is they, the, the Netherlands of the poster child, that's really. Right. I have yeah. to say, I've got a Dutch husband. And I that's true, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> a little biased, but no, it's true, it's true. The research is there. But it is there. Yeah. But pleasure yeah. is a really interesting other key concept here that really divides paradigms that we've seen in the history of of sexual communication sexual education um approaches and it's a it's again it's a very it's a very tricky one there's few places where we lead with talking well where that where pleasure is able to be part of the conversation Mm -hmm. when we talk about sexuality to, to young people, yeah. Um, but there is incredible work happening. Yeah. And also yeah. that's based in the research which shows that if you don't talk about pleasure, you don't engage young people yeah. because they, yeah. you know, that because pleasure is a part yeah. of that yeah. world and they know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, yeah. don't get me wrong. If you don't talk about pleasure, I'm not. I check out. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it comes back to the deliverers of that education. It does. Feeling they're completely comfort. out of their mm-hmm. comfort zone. And yeah. I must say, you know, I've just watched a couple of these little videos for uh, different ages, yes. and, and which include pleasure. And yes. you know, they're just they're so wonderfully done. I have yes. To say. So there are all sorts of ways that you can yes are you talking about the amazing true story of Uh, how babies are made um, that a friend of mine actually animated and it's now available on itunes as a three video series Mm. but it's animated a book which was which was um written by and illustrated by fiona katowskis i think that's how you say it katowskis Mm. so she's the local she's australian and it's very well recognized this book as being uh, one of the a, a very good example of sex positive mm. um, mm. sexuality uh, education for, mm. for for early childhood. Okay. So it's How about. Early? Um, I mean, you can, you can start as early as they can talk. Yeah. Wow. So oh, wow. it, because I do think there. So the the um, the other resource that I'll definitely emphasize is called Talk Soon, Talk Often. Yes. It was developed in Western Australia, yeah. but it's available online as quite a thick PDF, and there's also some shorter versions as well. 
But some of the principles behind that are, are I mean, they're, they're very robust and they're very well yeah. recognised. Uh, and really, that the, the whole, that's the whole concept is talk soon, mm-hmm. as early as you can, and talk often. Mm-hmm. Because that then makes the culture of the family, the culture of the parenting relationship, yep. it normalises. Mm-hmm. That sense of relationships a, are a part of what part of what yeah. you talk about yeah, what yeah. is what you are able to talk about yeah. and feel confident to talk about yeah. um and then and talking often also means yeah. continuing that through adolescence mm-hmm. so i'm, I'm going to jump to conclusions because that's what americans do <laughs> uh no but it, it's interesting because i completely agree with you but i can already hear what like people where I grew up or would hear, which is, oh my gosh, so you're saying as soon as a child can talk, you're talking about sex. Hmm. Uh, and, and you know, ex- walk us through a bit of what that might look like yeah, it's so, for a, a toddler. It's really important to be age appropriate. Yeah. So we're not leading with um, teenager conversations with a toddler, uh, but we are starting with talking about bodies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And particularly body parts, because what we know is that most parents will use a different word to describe genitals or other um, parts of our bodies that are sexualized than they will about arms and legs and heads. They'll use nicknames. They'll use nicknames. And kids don't know their nicknames. Mm. They think they're the mm. actual names. Yes. And so a very good point. That yeah. is a re- it's yeah. a really a problem. Not only does that mean that kids can, some kids can end up adults before they understand that it was only their yep. family that used that particular word but we know that if you don't as a child understand how to describe your body parts correctly that has a, a direct impact on well, well literacy in in terms of your health generally but also your risk um, in terms of being able to un- identify when you are experiencing unwanted um, um, abuse, yep. um, forms of abuse, um, or unwanted touching and so on, and being able to communicate that to others. Mm. So it's about a fundamental principle of body safety, bodily integrity that kids deserve to know um, so that they can understand what their body parts are and critically, which parts of their body are public and which parts are private and you know how we make sure that, that they're safe. Mm-hmm. So I think you've raised a really important uh, question because, in fact, often what we're wanting to do as parents is ensure that we're responding appropriate to questions as well. Yeah. So, you know, very young children they start to ask questions. It often is around bodies. It, it often is. You know, we know that. Uh, you know, it can be around. You know. The, touch for instance maybe you know maybe they're touching themselves and and it's just around ensuring that you can respond to to questions from those very young you know young age children appropriately and that you've got resources around you as well I think you know I know with with my girls when they were when they were growing up we, I just made sure that I had the really good books that were recommended to me yeah. by I mean, there's books there more than more than I suppose there were CDs and various things but age appropriate books as well mm-hmm. were just so helpful in terms of naming those body parts and so certainly yes. for my daughters I mean they grew up absolutely understanding you know what yeah. a vulva was what yes. a vagina was and they yes. didn't have that sort of shame around those or, or just that misunderstanding because in fact your pet word may be very different to the family down there and mm-hmm. so 
confusion yeah. as well as being able to engage with the with the health system later on, as you say. And we can assume mm. that girls need that more, but actually boys no. or, or kids need yeah. this. They need to be yeah. able to understand that terminology and they need to be able to know that they can ask questions about their yeah. bodies, other bodies, and also how that relates yeah. to gender, ideas yeah. about gender, mm-hmm. ideas about yeah. being a boy, about being yeah. a girl, ideas yeah. about who, who what, touch, yeah. absolutely, yeah. what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Um, yeah. Well, there's an article I read recently talking about nicknames that we have for genitalia. And the the main crux of this article was that think about the number of nicknames that you have for the penis mm. and think about the number of nicknames you have for the vagina. Mm. And it's for every one the vagina has, there's 10, 15 for the penis. Mm. And it was this sort of, again, their point was that we sort of erase feminine sexuality mm. but i see it as a problem of you know for for little boys it, that just adds more confusion yeah. mm-hmm. if we're not using the same yeah. vernacular in yeah. the schoolyard mm-hmm. like why is that you know why why do i call yeah. it a pp and you call it a johnson i don't yeah. know whatever yeah. but why yeah. is that yeah. and how is that okay yeah. uh, so it's and a confusion we, for yeah. for little boys as well yeah. if we kids know when you when we're not talking about something directly and so, you know, the, the, the kind of key way that they will interpret that is that there's something to be ashamed of. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what um, I was going to say, yes. It yeah. leads to that shame. Absolutely. And, and going beyond that, actually, then to stigma about things and just Absolutely. not being able to... Knowing that this is a shameful conversation. And that's where, as parents, being able to just respond in a way not to sort of immediately take fright when, you know, <laughs> and sort of run for the hills. but run to, away. To, Exactly. But to actually be able to respond and feel confident. So I think we do have to actually you know there's there's also education for parents which is so vital here Mm -hmm. so of course this is what we're doing in this in this um, discussion but it is ensuring that parents do feel confident themselves and and it may be that they actually are a bit out of their comfort zone with with some teenage discussions for instance you know and they do need to sort of you know find out but but that's okay I mean it's just about feeling confident about having that open discussion is really important Mm, absolutely Mm. and you know there's some there's some big and complicated concepts um Mm. masturbation is not something that's easy for a lot of people to talk about um consent is Mm. another one these are these Mm. are porn is something that we're having a very big cultural conversation about um appropriately so and you know how are we making sure that the young people who are coming up through our families are getting access to information and ways of talking about these things that are going to be protective for them rather than just saying this is too complex you don't get access to it because that's not going to work as a, as a starting point um that you know the uh, uh assuming that not giving information when it's appropriate when kids actually are ready for it and are asking for that information assuming that if we don't if we kind of deflect that they will be protected that they'll be safer is Mm. actually completely misguided Mm. um and it it, what it's doing is protecting us as Mm. adults from some very uncomfortable feelings and fears Mm. in wanting to keep our kids safe but then they're going to go find the information somewhere else they are. and course. they may also find misinformation along the way. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah. you know, the age of the internet, I know again, you know, we've, it's been around a long time now, but there is this sort of anxiety around and, and sort of moral panic almost that inevitably any sort of screen time is going to lead you, you know, down somewhere <laughs> that's 
that's inappropriate. But of course, and, and it's important to, to be able to engage with young people to know what they are looking at on the internet, yeah. but not to be tracking them. You've also got to be able to, to trust. have that trust and for young people to know that they're trusted as well, but they can come to you if they, if they feel that they're in trouble. So I think that's the key. It's, it's very interesting you bring that up because, you know, we... I, we've got friends who have children who are getting to the point of driving and it's yeah. always like, oh, well, you know, I'll put a tracker in their car so mm. I know where they go because I know what I did when mm. I was a kid. Mm. Like, well, so that inherently, that statement right there inherently says that you're now broken. There's mm. something wrong mm. with you. Yeah. Mm. And sure, mm. you may have gotten, you know, mm. lucky or, you know, mm. you, you made decisions that you weren't proud of, mm. but at the same time. Mm. We're gonna. The children are gonna do that. Yeah. Like that's not mm. something you can protect children from. Yes. Yeah. Like I, I, not having kids, I always feel like we don't have sort of a platform to speak on with children. But I feel like I have a platform mm. for common sense, which is we all make foolish decisions, mm. yeah. and we have the ramifications of those decisions. But the better, the better educated we are about those decisions that we might make. Maybe we'll we'll still make foolish decisions, right. but maybe we'll be a little safer. Yeah, uh, but it is that learning from those mistakes. Obviously, we want to protect people from yeah. big yes. mistakes. Right, it's yeah. getting that yeah. that balance right. But you've got to be able to allow people to make young people to make make choices, and maybe they don't always go the right way. So it's but it's about empowering them. So from that very young age, empowering them with with language, with mm. knowledge about what's safe, what's not safe, mm-hmm. that that's going to stand them in very good stead. And their and right way may look completely different than what you might it, think the right exactly, way is. Yes. That's yeah. the other thing. Because like yeah. when we say they go the right way, every person has a different right way. Yep. And our world is different now and actually our children will be teaching us about what they need in some ways particularly in terms of the digital environments that they are part of which weren't necessarily a part of the worlds of parents (laughs) certainly not grandparents you know i am on the cusp for sure Um, (laughs) we're all on the cusp (laughs) i remember Um, life before gps and computers um but you know I, i think one thing I just want to stress is this idea that, and I think this applies to good parenting of that, you know, recognizing that parents have so much on their shoulders, but trying to keep the lines of communication open Mm -hmm. is it's difficult, but it's also such an important part of a, a priority for a relationship between parent and child, because we just can't know what they're going to need mm. to know when. Mm-hmm. What we need, what we need to be sure of is that they feel they can ask you um, mm. and come to you when they when they need you. Mm. And and you know the more the more experiences that they have of you shutting down those opportunities, the less that is likely to happen. So how do you? This this is one of those questions that you could probably talk on for a week. How do you do that? How do you create a space for your children? To, to come to you with these maybe difficult for even you to answer questions because you don't have the answers. They mm-hmm. have questions about gender identity mm-hmm. or they have questions about sexuality, either their own sexuality or somebody else's sexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and this expands on to like poly families. And how do you not non-traditional just, not families. just how do you create that, but how do you then maintain that over the years and through different life stages mm-hmm. as they get older? So, and go. <laughs> well, so, well, we wanted yeah. something very succinct and <laughs> bumper proof. Look, again, I think everyone has a different philosophy and kind of ways of, of relating to their children. But for me, my oldest child is 12, so I've had 12 years of, of experience, which is not very much. But what has never stopped 
being a, a kind of key characteristic of the way that I relate to them is my curiosity and my willingness to to not know what to do or to answer. So I, if I don't feel like I need to always be right and have a pre-existing position that kind of helps me because I know that we'll be able to work out the answer together um, so I am intrinsically interested in what they know where they're coming from um, and to understand that which I think is also critical because I think we can assume things about kids all the time either that they don't know anything or that they know more than they do and both of those things are a problem right so what I what ex- what makes me happy is the idea that this is an ongoing conversation yeah. so you know that we don't just address it once and I know that because I'll tell you there's so many conversations I've had and I'm like we've talked about this before and they are still clueless. Like they don't remember any of those previous conversations. Angela does that with me too. <laughs> so I've got three girls, they're older now. And, and look, it's interesting as you're talking because they've all got, they've got very different communication styles and I've had mm. very different communication patterns with them. Mm. But at the core of it, there's been you know, just this, the way we live in our, our family, which has changed over, over the years. And it's, it's been around that um, just allowing people to speak mm-hmm. and responding to that mm-hmm. and actually not forcing conversations. I think that's something that I, with one of my daughters particularly, actually, she, she did not want me to sort of be proactively asking her about this. Whereas another, another of my daughters is very keen on that. So she's very, wants, wants me to sort of ask stuff. So it's, it's about understanding your child and what, what communication style suits them. But it's having at the core of it is just that ongoing discussion which is open which is non-judgmental which is you're there to listen mm-hmm. and you know if you don't know the answer to something you'll, you'll find it out um, mm-hmm. and that you can encourage them to, to really talk about anything that they want to talk and so, mm-hmm. about and sometimes they may want to keep some secrets of course yeah. and that's really important as well so and I know growing, for them growing up with you know Dr. Deb <laughs> Their friends would, you know, when they were teenagers, their friends would often sort of get in touch with me, ask questions, and so that was actually, in fact, was actually very nice, because they knew that they they felt comfortable coming around and asking me questions, and that, you know, helped support my daughters then, really, in in Mm. being able to ask their own questions. I think, I mean, my kids have Mm. kind of worked out that I'm not necessarily like all other parents, so Mm. they, you know, that Mm. they they also know that I, um, they can tell that I love love it when they ask me these kinds Mm. of questions Mm. you know about sex Mm. relationships gender bodies whatever that might be and they know that's partly because it's that's the area that I work in so that I have to also be careful that I'm not um getting overly excited when they ask me those questions (laughs) because that's their story as well like this is not I don't want to you know um they're, they're not case studies, yes. they're my kids and yes. they're, you know, they get to develop and grow and be interested at their own pace. Yes. Um, and I think that's that's really key. Yes, it's interesting. So I, I tell a, an interesting story just as an illustration really, but I do remember a, a, a mother coming along with her teenage daughter to, to our clinic and um, sat down and said, you know, I, I want you to give contraception advice to, to my daughter because she's going to have sex for the first time tomorrow at 7 o'clock. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I had to do what, what they... I always do, which is to say, 
it's great that you're so supportive of your daughter, but actually I'm going to do what I do with all <laughs> all mums who come along. I'm going to say, look, I'm sure you don't mind, but I'm just going to get you to go and wait, wait outside because really, you know, it's just great if I can have a conversation with your daughter. And and she was fine with that, actually, yeah. which was great. Because I think, again, for and it's a little bit of a different conversation, but for, for parents letting go of mm. adolescence is actually quite a challenge because they've often been so involved all those years and been their mm. primary source of everything really in terms of you know, information etc mm. to then let them go so mm. they can become autonomous adolescents seek health services that they need themselves uh, I think it can be quite challenging for parents so I think that's also a job that parents can yeah. need to think about I, that, I think so. Yeah. And, you know, again, there's a philosophy of parenting. Certainly I see myself as my primary uh, responsibility is to make my children not need me mm. at a certain point. And so this is an area mm. in which that, that, you know, that applies, but that applies across every area. And that's hard. Mm. It's hard to think of mm. putting yourself out of a job mm. from these little people <laughs> yeah. that you love so much. Yeah, but everybody um, but needs I think to retire. That's true, <laughs> yes. But I think there's kind of, I, I guess, I haven't thought about this before, but I'm sort of see three eras of parenting in this mm. regard. So the first one is really the early childhood and I really have relied on good resources. Yes. So I, you know, picture books are just the best way to do almost anything yeah. with kids when you're talking about complicated ideas because you can really rely upon yeah. how carefully they've been constructed. If they're the right resources, I've been very proactive yeah. in looking for the ones that fit my particular set of um political beliefs you know around sexual and gender diversity and inclusion and and thinking carefully about bodily safety and those kinds of things the ethics of relationships consent and so on and they get built in in subtle ways um from from the youngest age uh in terms of picture books so i've relied on on resources very much and you know they have set the foundation for some of the conversations that continue um, the, and the other thing is about types of families. So there's some great books, kids' books, yep. about every family is different. And that just starts, that's a lifelong conversation and way of thinking about, you know, challenging the idea that, that what, of yep. what family needs to look like, you, mm-hmm. you know, um, and what relationships of care need to look like and all of those sorts of so things. So in fact, we were yeah. talking about family planning before the name yes. family planning, but really the byline is for everybody in every family. So it's just... Exactly. Recognising. Yes. That's just, right. Yes. That's right. And getting yeah. kids to think about yeah. who is their family, what yeah. matters to them, how do these relationships yeah. work and yeah. so on. So the second era is kind of the one that I'm in at the moment, which is where kids are a bit older, um, heading into adolescence. And I think for me, it's about um, now it's about clarifying misconceptions. And that's partly because they're getting information from elsewhere, from stories from friends, increasingly from online environments, YouTube videos, etc. But also things they've misunderstood from what we've talked about. And including books and so on. Like, it's just incredible how mm. kids can misunderstand something that you're pretty mm. sure wasn't that complicated. Mm. But no, they got completely <laughs> the wrong idea. And also that includes things like, that you kind of think that they will understand. So my children have um, two mums. They've got three mums because they have a stepmom as well. And that in, in, it's always amazed me that that hasn't necessarily mapped on to understanding that even ideas about conception and fertility and, and family structures and relationship structures um, are not just the heteronormative kind of norm um so so even my children who know that in terms of their their own world uh, world world experience need kind of 
to be um, to have that as an ongoing conversation mm-hmm. about what you know what what are the ways in which we understand this in a in a broader way, and the you know the era I have not uh-huh. <laughs> entered yet is really the kind of late teens early adulthood, mm-hmm. and uh, but I'm very convinced by some colleagues that I have who I just think are wonderful who work in the area of young people digital media and sexuality so um kath albury paul byron um brady robards there's many others in australia who are really world-leading researchers in this area and they they have just shown through their work time and time again that we have to trust that young people will have the capacities and the strengths that they need to know how to navigate digital sexual cultures and digital media and other ways um, in ways that will keep themselves and their partners safe even as they're dealing with a whole range of new complexities and challenges. So it, it, they're not shying away from the fact that image sharing and, um, and forms of online abuse and um, all kinds of coercive behaviours and so on is a part of their new normal. What they don't want us to do is assume that as adults, we know better than the young people themselves around how to help, res- how, to, how to resource them to know yeah. how to navigate that mm-hmm. successfully. So I take solace in the fact that I can keep reading that research to inspire me not to panic mm. when <laughs> yeah. my children are really getting into the age where it does get scary in yeah. thinking about wanting them to have good experiences, yeah. so they feel good about themselves and that they don't contribute to cultures which are problematic to me, mm-hmm. um, but also are, are still based in, in good information and good you know, ways of, of, of helping them understand how to make the choices they're going to make. So that comes back to that idea of trust, doesn't it? So it is that trusting that young people, in fact, all young people, you're absolutely right, they can potentially navigate what's there before them and we shouldn't feel so anxious about it. We should actually just, as you say, just actually support them and know that actually... Uh, it, it's very different to you know to when when we were there, but just feel. I mean, I suppose that's how I've done my parenting is just to to ensure that I'm always there if they if they need to talk about anything, but that you are actually trusting them. Yeah. But also, you're there if they do feel that they're getting in trouble, if yep. they do have a negative experience, that mm-hmm. they can actually share that. They may not share it straight away, but they can share it, and that they've got someone trusted they can go to and, and talk to about it. So I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I'll mm-hmm. just say one thing. So. Um, you know, I think I've found it very helpful to know that all of the big research studies on the impacts of sexuality and relationships. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
kids' education have shown positive outcomes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we do, we can as parents worry Mm. that if we talk frankly about concepts that feel adult to us, like sex of all kinds, but that includes Mm. sexual practices which may be considered to be slightly less normative, so same-sex sexual practices or queer kink bias practices, non-monogamy, for example, that somehow that will mean uh, we're going to influence those kids to live lives that might be different. Um, and, And certainly there's a lot of fear around sexual debut, the idea of the, the age at which you begin to become sexually active, being uh, somehow accelerated by access to information. And we just know that that is no. absolutely not true. It's the data again. It's the data again. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I can say from personal experience, that's correct. Because uh, I found porn when I was eight, nine, somewhere around there. I didn't start masturbating until I was 13, 14, Mm -hmm. so well after that. And then I didn't have my first sexual experience with another human being until I was, I don't know, 20. Mm, I mean, so yeah. I was a late bloomer, I guess yeah. you might say. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and actually we know that the young people are having sex at a later age now and that's they're right. often having fewer sexual partners. So, yeah. Yeah. And there's good, there is good data. Yeah. <laughs> Just I'm not saying data's bad. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just that delaying of, of sexual debut, and you're right, it's yeah. a, uh, there is often a lot of concern about that. Is it getting lower? And, and in fact, it's not. It's staying the same. But in countries like Holland, if we come back, there, then, then there is that delay in that sexual debut with good sex positive yep. uh, education or comprehensive sexuality education. Yep. So I think we, yep. yes, it's it. But of course, you know, the tabloid press would not. Uh, oh, have of course not. Right, right. <laughs> so, that, that, yeah. Look, not having sex does not sell papers. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And it, it, yeah, and we do know that you know that introducing kids to ideas about, um, and I don't want to say non-normative because they're part of our world, but introducing them to ideas about relationship types or gender expressions or sexualities that um, may not may be different from the family of origin mm-hmm. that there are fears that that will then inco- somehow encourage kids to be thinking differently about their own life choices but also that um, we, we still hear the argument that um, children raised in same-sex parented families or by transgender parents um, will themselves be more likely to be sexually or gender diverse in a variety of ways and again the research, which is pretty comprehensive now from a number of different settings, shows that that's just not the case. Mm. Um, It doesn't make sense. It's so funny. It it does go back to that ignorance. It's clearly what's spouting that. Mm. And we we spoke before about, before we started recording, about the the signs that they used to hold up at protests Mm. uh, in the States, which was, if you don't want gays to get married tell the, the the straight people to stop having gay children mm-hmm. and I mean that's the perfect example mm. of mm. yeah that's right <laughs> that doesn't make sense <laughs> you know and you look at like uh, career choices mm-hmm. so let's think of a family where you've got a doctor and a lawyer like you know that doesn't mean that every child that uh, that they have is going to be either a doctor or a lawyer Mm -hmm. uh you know you you have artists come out of there (laughs) so it's just that i think the knowledge is is i'm i'm a firm believer that knowledge is always power the more you know the better Mm -hmm. and now i will say there are some caveats to that webmd uh you know you have to be careful what you do with that information yes yeah um that information can often be used as a weapon for good or for evil but you you need to be 
yeah, careful, I guess, about how you wield it. But mm-hmm. I think, again, you raise children with that understanding that this is information. Mm. Do with it as, as you will. But, but this you also is... have to help them learn how to handle that information yes. and how to navigate. And what, what do you do with this? Because, like you said, just because you have information doesn't yeah. always mean it's a good thing. But right. if, you, if you kind of help your children to figure out how do you wade through all of this mm-hmm. and how do we call it to, and, and shape it and use it to shape ourselves in, in a way that's good and that's positive. And some of that is about how you model that. Yeah. How, how do you show them that you're a person that can find information that you need as you need it? That doesn't um, that that knows how to make choices carefully. Mm. That acts in ethical ways in the relation various relationships that they have, including with your own children. You know, <laughs> yeah, although it's, it is interesting, isn't it? Because some of the, the research does show, you know it does show that young people are able to navigate very mm. well, and they're able to work yes. out what's credible and what's junk. That's true, and actually work their way through. But I can think... they teach some of the older people, especially, <laughs> especially the voters? <laughs> <laughs> but I think that modelling still is actually is really important. You are. Because right, there is a tsunami of, of mm-hmm. information, and you are just information per se is not going to do it, is it? Right. You need to be able to use it in, a, in an effective way. So I, I agree. But being able to to know where to go is is really important. So I want to go back to something that you said a very long time ago <laughs> about your children's friends coming and asking you questions mm-hmm. and and being available to ask mm-hmm. to answer questions mm-hmm. for them. So. How do you handle that when you obviously have a, a good relationship with your children and you're able to talk to them about things, but they may not have that with their parents, so they're coming to you or to another resource, but you know, your children clearly have more information, and so they go to school or interact with these other children. How does that work as far as do they come back to you and say, oh, well, so-and-so didn't know this, that, or the other? Or, like, is it more just that I can have these conversations with my mom maybe if you have questions that maybe she can help? Or, like, how does that work when your children are a little bit more aware than maybe other children are? Yes, I think it's probably a a real mixture of all sorts of things. I mean, I think, um, you know, that there was knowledge that I work at family planning, Mm -hmm. and I think what that helped was then, you know, these other young people going on the internet looking at the family planning website that's supporting them in actually being able to ask some questions know that they could you know, come and come and ask me questions as well um so i think it was i think it's a real a real mixture of all sorts mm-hmm. of things but i think i think it was a very positive thing for my daughters actually because it's sort of you know they had that bit of extra knowledge as you say and they were then mm-hmm. able to to um the, the, Possibly they were giving some advice as well. I suspect. <laughs> I hope it was all right. <laughs> I hope it was right. It, it is interesting, yeah. though. You do see a variety mm. of knowledge in kids, mm-hmm. and I, and mm. and I can be a bit mm. shocked sometimes if I realise yeah. that some kids will come out with something that you think, oh my goodness, they've mm. really got no mm. idea. They've clearly mm. had no conversations at home mm. about this. And that, that's always a bit confronting because it's not your place as, yeah. a, as a parent. Right. And yeah. I have to be very careful around that, of course. Yeah. 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 You know, and if I think back to some examples, it's always just giving some general general information right, yeah. about where you can go to, to find things out or you can always go and visit the family planning. I mean, mm-hmm. it would obviously be age appropriate, but, it, you know, yes, obviously I also can't cross professional boundaries. So right. 
there's all sorts of things that I have to be aware of but it is just I think it was actually just that awareness of oh my daughter's you know mum works at family planning what's that about what does it do it actually raised that awareness of actually there's more it's more than just contraception it's talking about safer sex it's talking there's all sorts of resources for young people they perhaps didn't know about before so I think that was a really good thing so that leads me to another question I remember when I was in fifth or sixth grade, very young, that we were all convinced that the way to get a woman pregnant, we knew only women could get pregnant, that's surprising, uh, but the way that she got pregnant was you peed in her belly button. So we were, that was that was science, we knew that. Um, so how do you deal with when your kids come back with such horrible information? Um, I guess, how do you make yourself a credible source and then how do you fix the misinformation that they get from the world out there? So that's where those resources, having those excellent resources, now look at your bookshelf. Because <laughs> I have many of these books as well. Yeah. So it's actually having those those really great resources. Because you're right, as you as a parent, it's, it's good to have backup. It's good <laughs> to have backup. Uh, and kids will yeah. often trust them more than they yeah. trust you, so which is fair yeah. enough. <laughs> it's a good instinct yeah. to be, you know, a bit, a bit, you know <laughs> yeah. think twice. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, and also yeah. it's it, if you get good resources and they keep getting updated, mm-hmm. they're going to know more than even yeah. us working in this area. You know, they, and they know how to picture in a way which is for, for uh, which is age appropriate mm-hmm. because that's it's tricky to remember. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. Yeah, but it's great that you know you in inverted commas is coming and asking that. You know that's a that's a great start, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. then you've got that start of that conversation, which is going to carry yes. on, as you say, for yeah. for a lifetime. And I know we talked about adolescence, sort of you know letting go of adolescence, but obviously you've still got that ongoing relationship with your ch- with your adult children. They'll possibly become parents themselves, possibly not, but you've got that ongoing ongoing discussion. So, and I do think look humour isn't appropriate everywhere but I think having humour in things can be a, a, a very helpful approach sometimes as well it has to be pitched pitched appropriately it depends what your communication or style is within within your family mm-hmm. but I think you know just being able to uh, sometimes have a light touch is is a good way to go but again you've got to work out what the circumstances are if it's all around consent and inappropriate touching and mm. perhaps something has happened that the young person wants to talk to you about then you've got to work out what's the best way to approach that it's interesting again reading articles i actually do read a lot of parenting articles i don't know why yeah. but i find them fascinating because you know it's that younger generation that will someday being paid will, will pay for my for my life exactly because we have no children so yeah. we're on society's child uh but talking about consent yeah. and how I remember growing up when you would leave a family's house, you had to give hugs and kisses to everybody. That was, you know, you had to do that. And I think about that now, those times that I didn't want to because I didn't feel like it or whatever. And you're seeing these articles now saying, you know, don't force your child. That's that's a consent problem. You know, your child is, you you should not force your child to hug somebody that they don't want to. And I look back at that now, I'm like, wow, that is brilliant. Mm -hmm. Like, like... And the same things apply to things like eating. Yep. So we don't now say to kids, finish everything on your plate yeah. because that's teaching them to ignore the feelings in their body. And what we want is to teach them how to trust those feelings. It's not always, you know, be, there'll be some not wanting to eat your greens, for example. Right. They may trust that deeply <laughs> um, and they may need to push through that particular feeling. But you work with them. Mm-hmm. You don't say, we know better than you. Right. Um, and you need to push through this in order to make us happy as a family mm-hmm. culture. It's really been very gratifying to see that become much more popularly recognised, the idea that it's 
teaching children the, the, the absolute wrong thing to ask them to ignore their bodily desire to not have this intimate contact with a person that they often don't really know very well. Yeah. It, it really is the opposite of what we should mm. be talking about in terms of consent and bodily integrity. Well, exactly. And it's yeah. something that you're putting, you're putting like that, again, that intimate contact before knowing the person. Mm. And that to me sets up a, a lot of pitfalls for later on down the line. Absolutely. You know, so if I'm forcing my child to hug and kiss somebody, like an aunt, even an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent that they see once a year, once every other year, you know, just, they don't have that contact and yeah. intimacy with them. So you're forcing that intimacy mm-hmm. before the comfort. Is, yeah, there, I see te- a lot of problems We're teaching there. them that it's more important to be to be good and to Obedient. fulfill a social Obedient. role yeah. and to satisfy the external social expectations than it is to feel good and safe. And that that is the that is really um, it's it's very dangerous for for all kids. Uh, you know the the focus has been very much on girls recently um, post Me Too. But this these are conversations and ideas that need to be taught um, to kids of any gender from yeah. from mm-hmm. as early as. Possible. So are you reading this in your parenting magazine? <laughs> <laughs> Look, all I'm saying is if something pops up on on yeah. Facebook, Twitter that yeah. that is. Yeah, parenting, especially if it's yeah. consent related or gender yeah. related, I'm fascinated by yeah. it. Yeah. Even yeah. not having kids, it's I think it's so yeah. important to have this this space you, where you do know that not having kids doesn't mean that you don't contribute to this the way that socially we are raising a new generation. And and that's my hope, yes. honestly. You know, it's yes. like because I want. My, my hope is that, you know, especially with us being non-monogamous, that mm-hmm. the, the friends that we have who have kids who are non-monogamous, you know, like, mm-hmm. they'll feel comfortable. Yes. A, a bisexual young man. If Again, if I'd had a, um, if I'd had a, a, a beacon or a person I could talk to mm-hmm. uh, when I was growing up, yes. I know a lot of the... A lot of the turmoil, the inner turmoil, and the the shame, and the all the problems that I had with with regards to sexuality, I could have avoided that if I just had somebody just to mm-hmm. vent to, just mm-hmm. to talk to, mm-hmm. and you know. So yes, very much. I, I hope that that I can be, or we can be, uh, depending on which you know what you're looking at. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think you're going to be a good model for my sexual. <laughs> the modeling is is the really important part, yeah. isn't it? Because it is through modeling, it is showing your children how to be with mm. with close family with aunts and uncles with with strangers and mm. and just that modeling i think is a you know it's a it's a vital part of of mm. parenting but also it being exposed to different models of parents as well i think right. yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely all, yeah. You, well yeah. in order to know you're doing yeah. something right yeah. you definitely have to see people who are doing it wrong yeah. yes and it's it's yeah. the yeah. same concept of you don't really appreciate yeah. a sunny day until it rains. Yeah. <laughs> and look, uh, just to come back to that idea about what do you do when other other kids who are not in, you're, you're not your children have incorrect information. Mm-hmm. Just one example, it also talks mm-hmm. about modelling, is that, you know, my kids have, um, as I said, they're being raised in same-sex parented family, and that's not that common in their school. It's not completely uncommon in our area. It's actually, you know, not, not, not that noteworthy. And yet it was amazing to me how many kids were blown away by this idea and they'd come running up to you at school and be like how can your daughter have two mums what how how is that possible what um and you know my role there is not to school that child in 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 sexual and gender politics 
Um, but I can certainly confirm to them, yes, it's possible to have two mums. Some families have two mums. Some have two dads. Some have one, etc., etc. Um, and that you know that that's a I think a, a a way that we do as a community play a role yeah. in mm. showing that there are yeah. different ways to do ethical relationships, family structures, ways of relating that are that are part of the fabric of our social life, not separate from the norm. So did you find yourself educating other parents as well? Well, I, I mean, I've had a few moments where I've thought, and certainly during marriage equality and the debates around marriage equality, that became a, a little bit of a, that it became a difficult um, experience in not, in, in also, uh, you know, we felt as a family that we there was more attention on us and that certainly we know from the outcome a third of Australians um, didn't support marriage equality and so that's a good reminder and not far from my area there were there were sort of no voting electorates and that you know that's a reminder that um, that there are very different views and again you know as I sort of said at the beginning my attitude is not to come in with assuming that that, that everybody needs to change their mind and agree that the, the way that we have parented is um, it is something that they support. But I also know uh, that the, the children, if they ask the question about whether that's possible, I know that that is a, a true fact. Yes, it is possible. Mm-hmm. I also know it's <laughs> safe, healthy, and, you know, completely legitimate. And also we know that now at the national level also that's been accepted. Um, so that's one example of a topic which can be very contentious in some families mm-hmm. and very ordinary in others. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we really need is to have just broader conversations mm. generally with yeah. our kids. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> I think that's great advice as well. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's funny. I, I didn't know where this, how this podcast was going to go when we started recording it. Uh, but I think for me, what I'm gathering is that everybody, every child is different, which I think we all know inherently as long as you keep the information age appropriate and also child appropriate because yeah. yeah. you know you get 100 children at the age 7 their the their comprehension what they their life experiences what they're their ready lens. to accept yeah. their lens is different yeah. mm-hmm. and you just have to make sure that you fine tune your your story and your tale their information uh, so that they can grasp it and and do i guess process it and clearly come back to you and ask you the same questions over and over, <laughs> yeah, and over again. again. Yeah, that's right. And I will just say that the schools are essential in this process also. So, you know, even for me, I would consider myself a sex positive parent. I'm somebody who leads with a fun of feeling very strong in the area of sexuality and relationships ideas that that's, that's not something that makes me uncomfortable. And yet, even in, in my case, when my kids hit the age where they began to have those conversations in the classroom setting, mm. that um, opened up a whole range of new conversations that had never happened for us. And really, they were coming to me with new questions in a way that I, I, I was really surprised by, actually. I was very grateful to the school for that. So that's even more important, maybe, for kids who come from families where there's no conversation. And we know there are families where mm. you cannot yeah. talk about yeah. sex in any form. You can barely talk about bodies. And so I think we just have to recognise both that schools are, just how essential they are, and also that they really 
um, managing a whole range of pressures in complicated ways because the families they support are so diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm very grateful. But no, they do an amazing, yeah. amazing job, I agree. But so again, just thinking as you're talking, so I certainly see young people where, in fact, they can't for cultural reasons often, or they mm-hmm. can't talk to their parent, but no. they do find someone, maybe it is an older sister, Maybe it is an aunt, and they do find someone to mm-hmm. be able to to have those yep. conversations with. So there can be other sort of figures. And I think again, it just school obviously is exposing you to a whole young people to a whole different environment. But mm-hmm. also thinking about going to you know, other people's families. Sort of, mm-hmm. I think it's so important to be exposed to different uh, the way that people live in different different ways. And I know I'm thinking back to you know when people. Friends of my daughters would visit our place, and and you know just you're right. The way we eat our food is different. Mm. The way we, mm. <laughs> we you know, deal with television is different. Mm. All of those different things. But it's really this is the this is the way we do things around here. Yeah, and that mm. that works. <laughs> it works. So I think that exposure is really important. Mm. Uh, but I think you know there are different there are yeah different ways to to find that information. So mm. not forgetting about the you know the older siblings etc. And look, at, just, to, just to your point about uh, being non-monogamous and thinking about the kind of, um, and bisexual and thinking about the kind of, the, the additional experiences that you bring, but also modelling that you can do mm. um, for people in the community about those both being mm. legitimate, ethical, yeah. totally appropriate, mm-hmm. just part of the yeah. normal part of our social life. Yeah. Um, what we don't have is enough research that will show how how yeah. families can ha- have conversations yeah. really around around both of those. We yeah. have some around yeah. lesbian parenting, we have some around gay parenting, very little, much less on bisexuality, mm-hmm. very little on polyamorous and non-monogamous yeah. families. Um, we do have this one 20-year study in the US by Elizabeth Sheff, which is incredibly valuable yeah. on the experiences of children who have grown up in polyamorous families and really being able to look at how they've navigated those experiences, what they think of that now, Mm -hmm. uh, what that's meant for their own lives. And I think that probably one of the main conclusions which applies uh, in my mind anyway across these ideas around sex-positive parenting is that that those kids are, by and large, in great shape Mm -hmm. and no more likely to be polyamorous themselves than <laughs> other communities, mm. but um, they're more willing and able to talk about what it means to be non-monogamous, what the choices are about, like what how people might decide to make to decide that that's the right fit for them in their lives. And so again, what we see is that we don't have to be scared of the information. Mm. The information mm. just leads to more conversations. Knowledge is power. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It is. So I, we're we're running short on time, yeah. and I'm opening up a can of worms here. Yeah. I know this, <laughs> Go but for it. it's something I really wanted to say earlier, and I just forgot, and then whatever. I, I want both of your all's opinion on porn, mm. whether or not it has a place in the third stage of young uh, young adult, uh, and then young adulthood, whatever. How do you talk to your children about porn? When do you talk to your children about porn? And overall, what's what's your general opinion? <laughs> and go. <That's> okay. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's really important to acknowledge its existence. I think that's some, you know, they're going to find it anyway. So I think you know you need to actually have that conversation. Um, but the, I think what I would say is there's porn and porn. So you yeah. want to be able to. You, again, it's around. Being able to be discerning, isn't it? So you want to again. It's around how do how do young people 
get the information, how do they use what's out there? And how, do, how can you teach them and, and model around being, being discerning and knowing what's a useful thing to see and what's a thing to reject? Um, so I think, you know, we have to, we, we know that it's there. And so I, you know, from my perspective, I think we have to acknowledge it. Again, the research is there to show that it, it can be you know, very positive for people, uh, for young people as well. It has to be age appropriate. Um, but that would be my take on it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, again, my, my, in terms of personal impact, my children are still young. However, we do know that kids' exposure to porn is, is much younger than what mm-hmm. most people would be aware of. So my key um, approach has always been just that they understand what that means, Mm. that they also have a good understanding of the problems of digital devices and the sharing of images, including why we are very, very careful and explain to them about why bodies are not, uh, certainly not naked bodies, are are never recorded in image form um, and the risks of sharing. So I do introduce some of those ideas also because they're they're old enough to consent to any image of them um, being shared or not on social media, which is a conversation between myself yes. and my kids, which is actually quite challenging for me because I quite like sharing images. <laughs> so, um, you know, but they get to decide that now, and um, and that's really that's really important for me to to recognise and to value. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but I think so. You know, I think one of the things people worry about with porn and young people is that it's changing what sex involves for young people. And while I think that we have some areas in which we that that's a really important think question to ask because it is a new social um, uh, development in the history of human sexuality. We have not had imagery of this kind, you know, accompanying our brain development through adolescence and so on in a, in a way that we do now. I think, I still believe that that may lead to some problems that we then can find ways to help with rather than assuming that porn is a terrible thing and we need to close it all down. Like it, it, it's not, it, we don't have to pick between, you know, good sex and porn. I think we can, we, 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 we actually no longer can. Yeah. Um, I think porn is a part of our, our, so our world in yeah. some way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the other thing, uh, we've heard some real kind of media panics around young people believing that the acts they see in porn is what you do in ordinary sexual life and it's changing the way that the expectations of young people in particular around how to do sex. And I, I like this analogy. I'll probably butcher it, but, uh, but what I've been told is that Young people know that porn is to real sex like uh, a soap opera is to their real high school. So it's not the same thing. Yeah. Like, it's not you know, as in you like know, Glee. It's yeah. like nobody exactly. lives in Glee. Exactly. <laughs> but it, that comes, it's staged yes. as actors. It's all about the effects. It's and so yeah. on. So well, they can understand they need to learn like things differently. <laughs> yes, in real life. Yeah. And what we need is to be still providing. Yeah. Uh, young people with the information. But that, that they... comes back to the, that importance of communication starting that yeah. very early yes. age. Very early. Because you are supporting as a parent or a trusted other, you're, tr- you're supporting that, that young person in, in making, in having that understanding about what's yes. real and what's not. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, that you also want that young person to be have credibility in the world. They need to know what you can't lock someone away. You need, they need to know what's going on in the world, but be able to to use that information in a way that isn't damaging. But also just in that that sort of conscious way that, that 
which distinguishes you know, what's harmful and what's not. And because I'm an annoying mm. parent, I will also want to talk to them about the political economy of porn. <laughs> Who's getting paid for the images that they see? Pay for your porn. See, yes. That's right. right. What does ethical porn <laughs> yes. mean? Why yeah. might that yes. matter? Yeah. Um, you, you know, the, the, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, we're similar parents. <laughs> yeah. Like, like these, but I think that's a part of the picture. Yeah. And also, uh, that as you said, that there's porn and there's porn. So, you know, if, we, if I'm talking to them carefully about things to do with ethics yeah. and consent and violence, then is that going to factor into how they read the forms of porn that may they may come to them? Because the other thing is that kids like to shock each other. Yeah. And so preparing my kids to see things that they might not even seek out themselves, yeah. mm. but may just arrive in their world, and for them to be able to make sense of that, yeah. we use a, um, a traffic light system in terms of, of internet access. Uh, use which is that you know when they're looking at something on youtube or whatever if if green is when they know that nobody in their life would have any trouble with them watching it they could watch it with their grandparents orange is when they get a feeling like i don't quite know what's going on here i think it's okay i could probably ask mum, but i'm just feeling slightly differently about it it might be a bit secret red is when they know straight away like (laughs) whoa no Turn it off. And so we've talked about as soon as that, it's up to you to know if your brain, shut it off. Because I can't always be there. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So mm. I just an think it's a way to look at it's it. A, yeah. It's yeah. a consent-based approach to thinking mm. about what's good mm. for you, what feels right. Mm. And, I, and it's hard for me to trust that, but I'm not always going to be no. there. Yeah, no. you can't. No, yes. no, no. No, yeah. and I'm coming back to the bodies bit of porn as well yes. because obviously that's the other concern yes. is, is around. Or we talked about it earlier about that: am I normal? What's yeah, normal? yeah, that's and true. That's how distorting. It's, you know, and yeah. again, it's about having those conversations to know what's real and what's not real. Yeah. And it's important that again, if I just think about the people close to me, it's just important that there's an awareness of of the conversation around porn and bodies because they may well come across someone else who sort of, who says, oh, that's not what, what what things are supposed to look like. And that's, you know, that can be a very shocking thing. And I certainly see young women who have really been very distressed after, you know, maybe a throwaway in inverted commas line uh, and knowledge is power. So to know that this, you know, this Absolutely. image has come from something that's completely not real yeah. is so important. And, that, so, and that's where the kind of counter images that yeah. we see developing in terms of um, yeah. the labia library, yeah. um, mm. which is, yes. you know, in yes. Victoria. And also yeah. the kind of movements around young women and body hair, for yeah. example, that you see on yeah. social media, yeah. kind of reclaim, yeah. pushing and back body against I mean, compulsory body hair yeah. removal. Yeah. But yeah, we know that there are increasing rates of labiaplasty that are happening among young among women and we know like so there 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 are things that yeah body positivity is actually central to sex positive approaches to parenting in my view those two things are totally wrapped up in each other we often use the porn analogy that equating porn to real sex is sort of like saying you've seen the movie jaws and suddenly you're a marine biologist (laughs) Uh, or you've watched star wars so you're an astronomer Uh, that's so few people understand you know we've interviewed both porn producers and and actresses and how much is storyboarding like porn most porn is storyboarded you know Mm -hmm. bodies are prepared for sometimes two to three days in advance before an anal sex scene there's a lot of effort that goes into it Mm -hmm. to make it look easy natural and Mm -hmm. and not staged Mm -hmm. when in fact it's not easy it sometimes feels unnatural 
and it is totally staged. Angela herself, we've done photo shoots mm. where she's in the, the the photographer will say, okay, this is going to feel really unnatural, but I need you to twist and this and that and now exhale mm. on the count of three, go. Yeah. And then, you know, click, 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 click. And you see the pictures and it looks like she's just lightly lounging across <laughs> yeah. a, a, a sofa. And you're like, that's amazing. But knowing what goes yeah. into mm. it, yeah. I think makes it, mm. it's I, important yeah. to know that yeah. things are... No. And I think that kids get that when you talk to them about it because they're taught much more about critical analysis of media generally mm. now. They're taught more about how production, how, how things are produced. Um, maybe not all schools, but, but yes. Yeah. part of, I'm, I'm thinking of it as life's literacy. So yes. we talk about health literacy. It's part yeah. of life's literacy that you actually need to have that understanding that there is porn out there and, and, and yeah. how it's made. So it is part of that. Yeah. And so we need to ensure, if yes, locking people is like the abstinence-only sort of argument, sort of you know shutting away any information is you know that's not going to that's yeah. only it's doing a disservice. Do yeah. a disservice. And, and there's yeah. no way in, you can't you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Yeah, Mm-mm. yeah, Mm-mm. yeah. So we've mentioned a number of resources throughout this podcast. We will put links to them all in the show notes. Another one that I wanted to bring up as well, uh, and this would be more for once you do start kind of the, the, I would say more the adolescent perhaps, depending on your child, talks about sex and sexuality. Um, It's a book called Drawn to Sex, The Basics by Erica Mullen. And Matthew Nolan. And Matthew Nolan. Or I guess Matthew Nolan, I think he's part of that. I know Matthew is part of the Ojoy Sex Toy. Yeah. Oh, I've heard about this one. I haven't seen it, but I heard it. Drawn to Sex is amazing. Yeah, so Ojoy Sex Toy is a series of four books. And they're graphic novels, but they're basically uh, where they talk about like small little sections where they talk about different sex toys and lubes and the, the positives and negatives and what you might use it for, that type of thing. Uh, and they also talk about venues, performances, burlesque, and that kind of thing as well. So I think that's definitely a little more also older. Also contraceptive. Like, yeah. Right. But then the drawn to sex, the basics, it's um, very body positive, very inclusive, very consent, very consent based. And it does talk about what sex looks like, what gender looks like, what STIs are. It talks about contraception. Um, So there's a lot of different things in there. I think that's, you can start at a younger age, but again, check it out if you're interested and depending on the age of your children, uh, always and, read things first before yes. you become yes. up. Yes. Common sense. Yeah. <laughs> but I think those are both yes. very good, and they're done in a graphic novel style, so yeah. they're easy for everybody to yeah. understand. Family planning New South Wales as well. We've mm-hmm. got something called Body Talk, which is an interactive um, online resource for all around bodies. Okay, and, cool. And so it's great, and it's you know, I'm trying to think of the the age range actually. So it's but age appropriate, and it's worth checking out that on the okay. website too. Awesome. So we'll yeah. link to that as well. Yep. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And then also, lastly, the the book that you saw oh, at so there Max was, Black. Yeah, so there was a book that I saw at Max Black. Admittedly, didn't open it, didn't read it, don't know anything about it. But it, it drew my interest. It, it's called Sexuality and Relationship Education for Children and Adolescents with Autism Spectrum Disorders. Yeah. It's by Davida Hartman. And it drew my attention because we do have some friends who have children on the autism spectrum. And I sent a picture to them and was like, hey, just so you know, this is out there if you're interested in looking at resources. And because their children are getting to that age, and she was immediately like oh my gosh where is that you know can I get and so I think it is good to kind of if you do have children with special needs to look for resources geared towards that as yes, well yes absolutely just, there's another one um, Making Sense of Sex by Sarah Atwood which is also um, for kids on the spectrum okay oh cool yeah yeah, yeah. 
And again, at family planning, we've got <laughs> resources for parents with um, with children with cognitive impairment, for instance, and, and just all around uh, development. There's lots of things to look at around disability as well. So that's Excellent. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that, there you go. That's just proof that you have no excuse not to talk to your kids. <laughs> like somebody's going to talk to your kids. It should probably be you. Yeah. Uh, don't pass it off onto somebody else. Don't give that responsibility to somebody else. Mm-hmm. You want to control what your kids... Don't be scared. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, and if it's something that you're learning along with your kids, that's even better. I think that kids... That's okay too. Yeah. Kids yeah. respect the fact that you don't necessarily have all the answers and like you said Christy. I learn from my kids every yeah. day right mm-hmm. and they're, and they're t- teaching me about the world that they will inhabit yeah, yeah. parenting yeah. is a team-based sport and the kids <laughs> are part of that team <laughs> so uh, very much encourage people if you have any questions comments concerns rude remarks you know we love them uh, reach out to us we can put you in contact with Dr. Deb and, and Christy yeah send us a message and uh, yeah we yeah. Definitely appreciate it. And thank you guys so much yes. for coming thank on you. and for being part of this for a long extended session. Yeah. <laughs> so much good information and we really, yeah. really do appreciate it. It's good stuff. Thanks yeah. for Thanks all the work that you do also. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> now I'm blushing. <laughs> all right. Hi, this is Jace, co-host of the Multi-Amory Podcast. We offer new ideas and advice for multiple forms of love, everything from conscious monogamy to ethical polyamory and radical relationship anarchy. And you're listening to a Swingset Network podcast. Find us and much more at swingset.fm. Hold up. 